see him perform. One night while they were there, Lenny got arrested halfway through his set. This had become the norm. That night, the cops did not like his use of the word cocksucker. Looking to hassle the club, the cops began to ask everyone for their IDs. When they got to my dad, he defiantly told them, I don't believe in identification. And the cops promptly threw him into the back of the paddy wagon with Lenny. When my dad proudly told Lenny what he'd done, Lenny looked at him and said, What are you, a schmuck? My mom chased after their paddy wagon on foot all the way to the police station and bailed them both out of jail that night. Growing up surrounded by stories like these and living through many others myself, I've always felt as if my family's journey has unfolded like some kind of mythological legend. Our lives together have felt shaped by a force, threads of fate, or maybe even what my dad called the big electron. Something was calling us forth and interweaving exactly the right people, places, and things to form one amazing life together. It just always seemed so destined. My dad should never, ever have come to be. In 1936, a year before he was born, his parents, Mary and Patrick Carlin, had separated. Not for the first time, but for the fourth. Patrick, as my dad would say, couldn't metabolize the ethyl alcohol, which meant he was a mean drunk, no longer able to take the verbal and physical abuse he doled out to her or their four-year-old son, also named Patrick. Who the fuck hits a child across the face with a slipper? Mary left him for what she wanted to believe was the last time. But Mary could never stay away for too long. When Patrick wasn't drinking and raging, he was witty, handsome, and one of the top national salesmen of ad space for the biggest newspapers in the country. He had the Irish gift of gab and had even won a national Dale Carnegie speech contest. He was funny, smart, and charming, and irresistible. So irresistible that once again in the summer of 1936, Mary found herself in bed with him at a motel in Rockaway Beach. Six weeks later, at the age of 40, Mary realized she was pregnant. She knew she didn't want to bring another child into this already complicated situation, so she decided the best thing to do was to get rid of it. But that big electron had different plans. While Mary sat in the waiting room of Dr. Sunshine, the Gramercy Park gynecologist who took care of such things for most ladies of import in New York City, she looked up at a picture of the Virgin Mary hanging on the wall and saw her own dead mother's face. A good Catholic, she knew a sign when she saw one. She promptly stood up and declared to Patrick, I'm keeping this child. On May 12, 1937, George Dennis Patrick Carlin was born. Eight weeks later, after months of trying to make the marriage work, Mary sneaked out the fire escape in the middle of the night with her two young boys, leaving Patrick Carlin and his rage for good. She'd seen the damage that her husband had already done to little Patrick, and she was not going to let sweet George be another victim. This time it stuck. Even though Patrick tried to woo her back, she held strong. George never saw his dad again. In 1945, his father died of a massive heart attack at the age of 57. My dad was eight years old. Without a man around to keep my dad out of trouble on the streets of the Upper West Side of Manhattan, or what he and his friends like to call Irish Harlem, Mary took her job as both mother and father very seriously. 
She looked for ways to shape and control young George's mind and life. She succeeded in only one area, a love of language and words. Mary encouraged my dad to look up words he didn't know in the dictionary and then use them in conversation. One morning, young George, wanting to show off a new word he had learned, excitedly asked his mother if she had perused the paper that morning. He anticipated her approval. Slowly, she turned, sharpened her gaze onto him and said, I have not. Actually, I've only given it a cursory glance. George, chagrined, turned around and marched right back to the dictionary to learn the new word, cursory. This was Mary to a T. Just when you thought you had the upper hand, she let you know who was really in charge. Mary had big dreams for my dad. She wanted him to be an upstanding member of the Better Business Bureau someday. A man in a pinstripe.